you're looking to change things up in your classroom. You'd like to see more student participation and interest, or you really need a better way to tap into each student's individual abilities. Maybe you're happy with everything in your classroom and you're just that teacher who will stop at nothing to provide the very best opportunities for your students so you're always open to hear more good news. Well, let me personally welcome you to the Student-Centered Science Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Carosis. I'm a secondary science teacher with 11 years experience teaching at-risk students in a distance learning cyber model. And yet, I've realized success in my efforts to plan for and execute student-centered learning. See, I believe that a science teacher's job goes beyond transferring specific content knowledge. Rather, I believe our duty is to prepare students for life beyond our walls, to help develop them into informed, active members of society who can confidently make all kinds of decisions. So on this podcast, our discussions will focus on strategies to promote active learning in the classroom and their outcomes, as well as creating and nurturing a culture that enables students to take ownership of their learning by planning next steps and implementing our feedback. Here, we believe that our classrooms are learning laboratories, not just for students, but also for teachers. You'll always get encouragement to keep on experimenting because what you do and how you do it matters. Let's jump into today's topic. It is November 5th as I'm recording this, and I have not touched base with you all in weeks and weeks and weeks. I swear it was like the next week after I had done some major improvement to my homepage on my website, And I committed to writing, join me every Wednesday for a new episode of the podcast. And immediately thereafter, that following Wednesday, I was unable to fulfill my commitment to you. Uh, My first marking period just ended, like two days ago. And so I assume yours has also just recently ended or is coming to an end, depending on when you started your school year. And I don't know about you, but after the first nine weeks. Actually, I've received so many messages from my children's parents and principals that start out, you know, I can't believe it's already the first week in whatever, November, the first week in October. I can't believe it's already. Can you already not believe it's the end of the first quarter? And I mean, here's cheers to three to go. (laughs) For me, guys, I don't know. I have not had trouble keeping up with work. This has to be the first year in 10 years that my work life has been relatively relaxed. And that has a lot to do with my own personal boundary setting um, in an effort so that I could serve my business a little bit too and serve you guys and make sure, because it brings me so much pleasure. You know, part of that is, um, even though it's work, I don't know if any of you out there could relate, even though it's work, it does bring me pleasure. It's like when I'm digging in my garden in the summer, it's not one of my favorite things to do. However, I love the outcome. Same with cleaning my house. I love the outcome so much that um, it brings me pleasure. (laughs) So I end up somehow finding a way to enjoy it. But also this year was the third year I'm running my, my 
interactive science lessons. And even though my school has adopted a new virtual meeting software that has taken away so much and so many important features that I had become used to, the nature of my lessons didn't have to change. They still served students in an inquiry, discovery, constructivism-based way. I did struggle just a little bit to find the right technology to incorporate for my particular model, my particular environment, my particular students. But once I overcame those challenges and just the basic frustrations of the bureaucracy of working in a public school, I was okay. Whereas a lot of my peers are like drowning in everything to do and they work weekends and they work nights and I kind of just have been shutting down. In September, I did a good job following a very strictly created calendar for serving both my students and my family and this business. And it was maybe two or three weeks in that I just couldn't keep up anymore. My young children ages seven and nine are in soccer. And as I've talked about here before, maybe sent you an email or two about, I volunteered to assistant coach this year. I wasn't the head coach because I'm not really that athletically inclined. And I don't know all the rules, but I was there as the model, the demonstrator, the cheerleader, and uh, substituted for a game or two as head coach. And it was a great fun experience, but I have to tell you, there were definitely nights I wished I had just pulled up my lawn chair and got to kick up my feet and watch. Um, and certainly some of those nights I would have actually honestly preferred writing a podcast for you and recording it at home, but they did keep me busy. We did not win the soccer lottery in my family this year. We have two kids at two different age levels and they did not have practice on the same nights and they were located at the field farthest from our house and it's just been, it just took over. Honestly, it took over my life. I am I am so steadfast in the family dinner thing and we have had so few of them this quarter. I'm so happy it's ending on Saturday is our final game, our final like little team party thing. So um, there's that. But, and in leading up to it, you know, I had this podcast planned. I had made some decisions. And unfortunately, the decision is that I can't continue right now with the podcast. Because I just want to bring you the best, you know. And my attention is just so diverted right now that I knew when I sat down to craft something for you, it wasn't as good as it could be. And I, and I want to talk to you more about that in a minute. But honestly, it's not been the work. <laughs> it's not been my kids' activities. It's not been the, the normal stressful stuff that has wreaked havoc on my life. And especially in the last two to three weeks. I mean, Murphy's Law over here, folks. Everything has been going wrong. I have been two weeks without a washing machine now. And I am just so steeped in routine of myself. You know, just last time I, I came to you, I talked to you about consistency. <laughs> well, I'm not just consistency in my lesson plans, okay? I'm like consistency in my home life and in my cleaning routine. And not having a washing machine is making me crazy. Uh, we had a service agreement and it's has one year left in the service agreement. I fought so hard, you know, to get it serviced under the service agreement. The machine doesn't work. The I had two repairmen here tell me it was fine. I mean, just 
I can't remember being so upset in probably 10 years. I remember the last time I was so upset. And it and it wasn't the equivalent of a broken washer and mean repairman. Okay, but that that's something I have been contending with. Now, in addition with the, the broken washer and the trying to get it repaired, I'm visiting the laundromat on the regular, which, you know, when you have two kids and their soccer stuff and you're a teacher working to maintain, you know, fast grading turnarounds, and then I'm trying to also squeeze in some attention to you guys. It's just been absolutely insane. Do you want to know what happened the day after the first repairman? No, no, maybe it was the second. The second repairman came here and shot me down, told me there was no problem. I found a mouse in my house. I mean, and we we live in a pretty nice house. It's not super old, but my husband and I were kind of attempting this DIY fix at our bathtub, which is very nice, but leaks into our kitchen. And he had torn up some tile and he had uh, leveraged the tub so that the plumber could see inside. I don't know, one morning I'm getting ready and I hear the scratch and this little mouse is in this deep, deep tub. Thank goodness it fell in the tub. But I mean, I cannot even live in my house comfortably since then. I just feel like every noise is a mouse in the walls and it's going to crawl up my legs. (laughs) Then I had sick kids. Oh, first my youngest got sick and then my oldest got sick. And today I'm on my second round. We're on our second round. There's a second round of sick. We're pretty strong people, but we lived in a bubble for 18 months. So uh, they bring it home from school. And then the nonsense with getting the COVID tests and and all of that to school. I just, after one week, I could have taken a week vacation. You know, so in addition to just life, I'm sure you guys can relate. Sometimes they say when it rains, it pours. And my problems are just, I know they are not the enormity of some problems, but they have really taken me down. And I tried to resist for so long, but but ultimately it happened. It happened. But I think in some way, and and maybe this is not a good feature of mine or a characteristic of mine, I think I look at the last few weeks and accept it as an affirmation that I maybe have taken on too much. It's like when you have a family budget you know, or you have a budget for yourself even. And um, if you're planning to use every dollar in the month, then you have no room for when you need a mouse exterminator, <laughs> you know? And it's the same way with our time. I had so completely squeezed my schedule and my time that I had no capacity for dealing with normal stuff that happens and it expired me expired me pretty fast so I was teetering this is all connected by the way (laughs) to the lab and every lesson podcast thank you for listening uh it it was an affirmation for me because I had been playing with this idea of now maybe turning this podcast into a seasonal activity uh where we can have season one season two season three and so on and then it wouldn't necessarily carry throughout the entire year What I've noticed anyway from the data on the podcast and some other areas that I'm able to look is that you guys are as busy as I am. And you probably work on similar patterns as I do. That is when you get some downtime and you've already had the opportunity to serve yourself, relax yourself, then maybe once you have a little bit of a clear head, you could go back 
to the work mindset and explore a little bit more there. I mean, I truly, even in my box here, I have done very little of my own professional development and and seeking out and growth toward that regard because there's just simply no time. So I'm thinking I haven't exactly figured out the pattern yet, but I have loved, just loved preparing and delivering this podcast for you. On some level, I think it has been cathartic for me and very, very therapeutic. Um, In the beginning episodes, if you haven't listened to them, I have talked about the fact that I felt really lonely in venturing into a space, particularly in the virtual learning environment, that wasn't being explored a lot. I didn't know anyone and didn't feel like I could talk to anyone who was doing similar work. And that feeling of isolation was truly crushing. And even though I'm sitting here, like, looking at my microphone, (laughs) I still feel like I'm connecting with you because I have heard back from some of you. And you've been so... um, blessing to me in in your words and your feelings about uh, the kind of stuff I'm sharing with you that in that way you have really lifted me up as well. Not only is it great for me to get all this out, but to know it's helping you is amazing and wonderful. Now, in addition to just life, you know, getting crazy, the other thing that happens to me is I'm not really able to, I'm not really able to multitask anymore. I mean, I've told stories here to you guys about raising my babies while I'm teaching. And I would feed a child and then go teach a class and then nap a child and go teach a class. And I had this whole system for the last 10 years. and I really, truly believe it has traumatized my brain because now I really can't do multiple things at once or even sometimes in the same hour or on the same day. And I have found that, you know, my work in the classroom and I had a suspicion this was going to happen. I tried to, I tried to tell myself it wouldn't and block it out. But I, I know me, <laughs> and my work in the classroom has taken center stage now. So I really need a shift toward um, my business time, growing my blog, and nurturing my email list. So if you've been listening to the podcast or you've ever listened to the podcast, love the podcast, make sure you get on one of my email lists. Um, You know, on my main page on my website, you're able to share your email with me and get a free gift. And whether or not you use it, at least that will allow me to stay in touch with you. And I plan, just shout out to everyone who's on my email list, I I plan for you to hear from me much more often now. Because um, the podcast was something that I really want to keep more specific to... philosophy and pedagogy and big blue sky ideas. And I don't want to keep it super specific. You know, I'm a chemistry teacher in the virtual space. I want to serve all of you. And I really need to, however, connect with those folks who are on my blog, who are um, following me socially, which doesn't really exist right now, but on Pinterest. And those people on my email list who who are looking for specific ideas for physical science and chemistry. Um, I have the best business intentions in the long term to provide a membership with all of my resources, to provide courses to those of you who are interested in really exploring book widgets, you know, a walkthrough on how I do what I do and recommendations and things I've learned from working on the platform for the last three years. 
So I need to I need to allow my free business time to go there uh, because I, this podcast was the first thing I planned to do each week. And and as I ran into the obstacle of the time I needed to clear my head and get that done in a quality way, it was holding up everything else. Um, so anyway, I hope that you do understand. I hope that you do come back when when it resurrects. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe April and May. I start to get really... I don't know what happens to me then. I'm a I'm a fall and spring kind of girl. <laughs> I'm able to really it's the shifting winds or something. Um, I I usually get charged up at that time of year to start my own professional learning again, and that's really what I want to share with you here. Inspire you to do the same. Also, the holidays are coming. I'm sure you are looking forward time to spending time with your family and friends, as am I. Definitely takes over the season for me. Uh, last year, I started baking cookies in November, and who knows when it will start this year, but um, I, I suspect you guys might prefer listening to, like, happy Christmas music than listening to me drone on about teaching. So please get on an email list and stay in touch so that I'm able to connect with you when the podcast returns. I do actually have a message for you today, though, after 15 minutes of nonsense and just sharing with you a little bit of my life. I'm going to give you today four ways to fend off feelings of failure. Because if you have downloaded my guide called Six Things to Consider When Making the Switch to Student-Centered Learning at my website, labineverylesson.com slash considerations, you will find the sixth and final consideration is that your first attempts at student-centered learning in your classroom might feel like failure. How about we just substitute that with your first attempts at fill-in-the-blank might feel like failure. And so I tried to reach deep down in what I've experienced a long time ago and even so recently as this week or last week to give you some suggestions there. And I'm going to start with number one, just keep moving forward. I do have a colleague who's always trying to be supremely positive and she has always quoted Nemo in the Disney movie Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. The Dory says, just keep swimming. No matter the challenge, especially the nonsense stuff, just keep swimming. Some ways you can do this with regard to your instruction, you know, and this idea of failure. You need to do a lesson and you're like, that went horrible. It was a hot mess. No one could answer anything. No one completed my activity. Or, or you gave out an exit ticket and it didn't translate. The very first thing you do is try to differentiate. Don't give up. Just differentiate. The first time I encountered this was only two weeks into my endeavor to go student-centered. It was a very basic lesson on physical and chemical change. I was using an interactive that has so much beef, so much visuals, so much text-based evidence, and I just said, go. And they didn't know where to go or what to do. They needed a lot of guidance, my, my students, my group. And so I had to adjust the amount that I asked students to complete. I needed to chunk it down to adjust the complexity, the thinking work that they needed to do. And I needed to create multiple versions so that I could in the future, you know, and that's one thing I did after that lesson. Every learning experience I created, I thought about before I delivered it, how could I adapt this for my early finishers? 
for my super strugglers. Just thinking through different options and testing them. Remember, your classroom is a learning laboratory. Science is about discovery, and you are a science teacher. Your learning hasn't stopped. You're just going to set about discovering what works for your group, and every year, it might be different. The core skeleton of your lesson might serve you well, but you're gonna have to adjust it. What worked one year with one class isn't gonna work another year with another class, and you know very well, perhaps, that this even applies to groups of students within a single day. So don't give up, differentiate. And if you haven't listened to my last episode on consistency, I'm gonna encourage you again to commit to consistency with confidence. When I did this, I had to tell myself, you are gonna do this <laughs> and you are not gonna stop. You have set up the students to this point to become conditioned to a routine, to a classroom plan, and here they are, and you're not going to give up because one class period went wrong. You're not gonna give up because one test went bad. You're gonna forge ahead, and you're going to make adjustments where you see adjustments are needed. Of course, this requires regular and deep reflection. It requires that you have a mind open enough to recognize that something you did might not have been great, even though you are great. <laughs> we all know you are great. You have to be willing to accept that something could be better. You have to adopt the growth mindset that says, this isn't perfect, but I'm gonna continue working toward perfection. It's something that doesn't come easy to us, um, and when you overdo it, that's me over here, blaming everything on yourself, then it can become really hard. So that's what we're here for. Make sure, you, make sure you're sharing all these ideas in the community, community.labineverylesson.com. We are there for you. We want to hear about your struggles. We want to help you through them with our ideas. We want to hear about your successes because it just it feels better to... Um, commiserate with with folks who can relate and also to to celebrate with people who understand how profoundly joyful those great moments are the second thing I'm going to suggest that you do today is set yourself up some daily inspiration daily inspiration when I was doing this I was just simply using a planner a paper planner um, that was faith-based. So every week, I think, I saw a new verse on the page. And I'll never forget, I was probably about one month in, and it was not easy. I mean, this process wasn't easy for me. The year I developed these lessons, I was up late, late nights every single day. And it was arduous, but I was probably as committed as I've ever been to anything at that time in my life. Uh, and I remember just sitting down one day and flipping the page and the, the Bible verse read, she will not fail. And I remember exactly what I was wearing and where I was sitting and I can see the page in my mind's eye. It was that profound. Today, I can tell you, I somehow got myself on an email list for, for inspiring quotes 
And I get one every day in my email and I take snapshots of them and I send them to my coworkers and my husband and my mom because <laughs> I do love them. Some of them are fantastic. Examples like um, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Another example that I've saved here in my e email box says, do what you can with what you have where you are. And these are just some examples of things that like, they're, they're, they're wonderful surprises when you don't expect them. I even forget every day that I get these emails. I go in through to delete my junk and there they are. And sometimes they're just so timely. This next one says, if there is no struggle, folks, there is no progress. And most of these quotes come from um, famous and influential authors and people and society and history. And so I highly recommend them, inspiring quotes. Again, I have no idea where I found them, but it's kind of wonderful. Back to your faith-based stuff, you know, maybe even just a daily, uh, you know, a rip-a-day-off planner, a rip-a-day-off calendar, that can be helpful. I also want to explore the book Chasing Failure. I read with my sons at night uh, Bible devotions from the Holy Bible app. And, and there was one called Chasing Failure, and it's basically a promotion for an inspirational book. And the premise of the book is this NBA player who, I don't know, he was a good basketball player. He tried out for the NBA, and he didn't think that he could ever possibly be drafted or be good enough to be drafted. And then here he was. He got drafted. And the whole message is don't be afraid to fail. Just go after failure because you have the potential to do something great and something new and something different. And who knows where it will lead you. The worst that can happen is you get a no. And is it really failure then if you've tried? And for those of you with kids and even those of you, you know, you're all leading classrooms, the stories you can tell from that and the success stories and the pride that you feel when you come out the other side is enough to continue propelling you forward. So like I said, I haven't read that book yet. Only excerpts is something I plan to dive into soon because, I don't know, just reading inspirational stuff keeps me going. It truly does. Number three, ways to fend off feelings of failure. Connect to a community of peers. That seems so simple. Me personally, I kind of have rejected that idea for a very long time even in the time when I don't do social media you might find me on Facebook or Twitter I think I have an account but I haven't checked those things in years years folks so I don't know you might see my wedding pictures up there from 12 years ago I don't know I keep the accounts active because I'm aware the world is social media driven and just in case and I've had several of my kids, friends, parents try to connect with me there, and ultimately they can't, but my husband is all over on it, so they get to us somehow. But in trying to launch a business endeavor, I have reached out. I have created, I have uh, partaken in some communities, and honestly, I primarily use them right now as a means to ask questions, learn more, and celebrate success. And since no one in my world understands what I'm trying to do in bringing other teachers what I know outside of my school, like my husband can't relate, my friends can't relate, my mom can't relate, my kids don't know, who can I talk to this about? Other teachers trying to do the same thing. 
And that's why I find just tremendous value in a community. If all you do is drop by every once in a while to say, hey, this is what I'm working on and this is what I did great with this week. I mean, it's it could be if you're of that personality, wonderfully supportive and propelling for you. I, I want to say that for all the complaining I may have done in the past, even on this podcast, even at the start of this episode, with regard to how lonely and isolated I used to feel, there's just a new structure at my school this year that has my team face-to-face more often. And exchanging, using Microsoft OneNote, our work products and our ideas in a central place where I at least feel like I'm expressing all this stuff that was stuck inside of me. (laughs) Look at this cool idea I did. Look at this cool website I found. And even though nobody responds, it's out there for viewing. And my instructional coach does look and she always shares what she has to share, but um, that's not why I do it. And that's not why I, I feel the good from it. It just feels like such connection. I get why people like social media, you know? Let me just say that, and I'll I'll end that piece there. I want to remind you that that's why Lab in Every Lesson has a community. I personally have not nurtured it enough. My apologies for that. I don't quite know how, and I I will someday. Right now, it's very, very quiet. (laughs) No matter what I post out there, I don't get much back. Uh, But we are here for you, community.labineverylesson.com. It is not Facebook-based program. However, it looks and feels like Facebook. We want to preserve all the great stuff about Facebook and just leave all the the bad parts out. Okay, another tip I have for you for fending off feelings of failure is self-study. Self-study should never, ever stop. It is the starting point we have for making a change, right? It's where all this started for me. Um, you know, perhaps, I guess, I guess not exactly. The feeling of failure is what starts us, right? And failure is defined differently by each of us. Um, for me, failure was not collecting artifacts of student learning other than assessment items. For me, failure was quiet classrooms. For me, failure was not really being able to tap into or quickly report on any strengths or weaknesses of individual students. Now, I would not necessarily say that if you can't do those things, you are failing. That's not where I'm at to judge your practice, but it's me and my practice. You know, I'm not even clear on how I judge success, but I know exactly how I judge failure and what I do. And so maybe once we know what that is and then we're feeling that feeling, we know or have a sense of something needs fixing. And where do we start then? We start with knowledge. Whether we're collecting knowledge from books, from blogs, from perspectives of other people in actual social media exchanges, but self-study should never stop. And it started for me when I picked up the Visible Learning Book. And and actually, that that wasn't an overnighter either. I mean, I knew for about a whole school year that I was dissatisfied with my performance based on my outcomes with students. And I just searched the internet casually over a year's time. At one point, I I remember it was about Christmas time. 
and I ran into John Hattie and I passed an article on to my principal. And then it wasn't again until like May that I found there was a whole series written by Hattie and I picked that up and studied it in summer. It's never an overnight process, right? Study is just an ongoing thing and you're already doing this. I mean, you're joining me here, you're listening in, you take your off time to explore and learn about your profession, to be better in your own view of what you should be providing or what you could be doing or, you know, just satisfying your own, your own instructional and professional goals. We can't rely on our school districts to provide us with all of our professional development because it has to be pretty much one size fits all. <laughs> if you out there have differentiated professional development, please, please send me, tell me about it because my school, I've been telling them we need differentiated professional development. Some of the PD that we have is so geared toward new student, new teachers, teachers who are not necessarily new teachers, but new to uh, virtual learning or new to our school. and. And the rest of us who are veterans, we just we have to endure it and we don't learn or grow from it. And so what I have learned in my environment is that if I have a specific instructional goal that I want to achieve, I have to go seek out that goal and I have to try to understand it better on my own. And I think that's part of the reason why if you spend some time online, you're going to see a whole lot of people like me who are teachers who are trying to spread the word about what they're doing to encourage at a grassroots level um, more professional development in highly specialized areas. And that's why you're here. And that's why you're listening to me. Um, but all this particular talking point ties into everything else they've said, like a good portion of self-study can be accomplished through reading, but you know that if you were to give an article to your students or a textbook to your students, you would never expect them to just read it and boom, know it all. You're not going to read a text and know it all. You're going to read a text. You're going to talk to the text. You're going to make some notes about the text. You're going to maybe talk it over with a colleague if you have a colleague to talk it over with. And if you don't, that's where an online community comes in so, so handy. To have a book study together or to just throw it out there, hey, this is what I'm reading about. This is a concept. I'm wondering you know, what you think about this. And to have that kind of discourse with somebody else who cares and in the respect that they like to talk about pedagogy. They like to share their experiences and then we learn from each other. Self-study doesn't just come from books. Self-study comes from exchange. And we're all going to be so much better off if we participate in that type of thing. Study also comes from science, science teachers. Yeah, the scientific method has in it the step of communicating with everybody else. In that final step of the scientific method, you're writing a journal article. And it doesn't go to press. It goes to other scientists to review it. They send you back their notes, whether they believe your data or not, <laughs> how you can better frame your data, what you can um, focus on in the future, and, and just really priceless pieces of advice and suggestions from peers. And that's through the, through the revision process, right? So that goes to your community talk as well. But as part of your scientific method, it's experimentation. 
So when you study, no matter how you get an idea from me or someone else online on their blog, or you're reading a textbook or an education book that's out there, or maybe you did hear something in your local school district PD, you got to try it. You got to step out of your comfort zone. You have to try it and see what works and use your classroom as your laboratory. That does not make your students guinea pigs in the bad sense of the word because what you're trying to do is increase the productivity among your students, increase the quality of their experiences, and get evidence of deeper learning in their outcomes. No change you make with a good heart and good intentions based on any type of self-study is going to be bad. You have to just step out of your comfort zone and get it done. If it works, great. You refine it. And if it doesn't work, it blows up in your face. Lesson learned. Okay, and I don't know. I think at the start of this podcast, I told you I have four ways to fend off feelings of failure. But I actually have five. Because I was totally sitting at the laundromat last week and thinking about the things I had to do. I was getting my planner ready for the week and charting out all the things that were coming up because I had grading this week and a very large writing assignment to score and so many things happening. So it dawned on me that at the end of every nine weeks, I usually issue a survey to my students. It's a Google form survey. And I realized that this is one of the things I do to combat feelings of failure. And notice that I don't say I'm combating failure. I'm combating feelings of failure. And so you might be going, um, you're serving your students. Aren't you going to get a whole bunch of bad stuff back and that's going to make you feel worse? <laughs> I think no. I'm going to suggest to you that unless there's something truly, deeply, systemically flawed in your planning or your execution, you're going to be pleasantly surprised at the outcomes. Uh, for me personally, I find that student feedback fuels me through all of that, all the feelings, through the internal chatter that is focusing and telling me, sometimes screaming at me, feelings of doubt and fear and unbelief. Now, if you listen to the last episode of this podcast, you listen to this whole idea of changing your energy by truly believing wholeheartedly, visualizing and, and accepting belief in what you're doing. But that doesn't completely preclude the other voices. I mean, I know I'm not the only one with voices in my head. And they are very quiet these days, I have to tell you, because with time and practice comes confidence. And so I'm very confident in the things that I do now, but it, it was a long road getting here, friends. And so that's what this episode is all about is still, I'm in, and you're going to hear it all over the internet from teachers that if you want to overcome those voices and those feelings, you have to actively do so. And one of the ways I do that is through surveying. Now, how do I survey? Me personally, I would recommend you make a list of your instructional goals, things that you have in mind for your initiative to change things that you have focused on changing or things that you're currently doing now. Honestly, if you've never done this before, 
focusing, uh, making a short list of things that you are confident, you think you're accomplishing in class, and setting those out in the survey might surprise you. You might find that you're actually not meeting your own expectations on that particular target, or maybe you're exceeding them, and you have the energy and the space to do more or do different. Uh, you learn a lot from the students. And remember, this is this is all about this podcast. It's student-centered instructional strategies. So in serving students, what we're doing is we're trying to tap into, in the most tangible way we can, their feelings, their experiences, their opinions, because ultimately that's what matters. It's not what we think they'll feel. It's not what we think they'll experience. It's not what we think they think. <laughs> it's what they actually think that matters and how they actually think that matters. And that's what we're constantly having to guess at when we're going through the process of delivering a lesson, determine its effectiveness and how we can change it or adapt it for the future. Student feedback is everything. So for me, when I did this, my very first survey was focused on challenge and collaboration. And I give the same survey now, three years later, than I did the very first, the very first survey out because I have a different group of students than I did then. And I'm delivering the same lessons that I did then with minor tweaks here and there. My focus in going student-centered was, and I told them at the very beginning of the year, I'm going to bring you challenge. I wanted to increase rigor. And I'm going to make you feel like you're collaborating. So collaboration was a big one too. And I've talked about it in various episodes of the podcast that it's difficult in my model to make students feel like they have collaborated because mostly they don't want to. <laughs> and it's easy for them to hide. So those are the two things I go after in addition to whatever technology I might be testing out at the time because I'm a virtual learning teacher and I rely on technology to get to, to accomplish all of my goals, whether it's resource support or lesson execution, lesson delivery, assessment, and all those types of things. So I take those instructional goals, you know, words or phrases, things you're after, you know, limit them, I would say five or less. For me, I chose two. And transform them into statements students can choose from, like things that they find true. Or, you know, agree to on a sliding scale. So, for example, I find this class to be challenging, period. And they select one for strongly disagree or five for strongly agree, three for neutral. Um, I find this class to be very collaborative, same thing, sliding scale. I really like the sliding scale because I, me personally, I have trouble choosing between yes and no and neutral. And I'd much rather have the gray area of the in-between. So I give that to them as well. And then you're going to collect your feedback and you're going to have a feeling about it. Hopefully it's a good feeling. For me, it's never been a bad feeling. Never, ever. You know, there's always a few students who are selecting options that you're like, where, how is this happening? <laughs> you know, wh what class are they in? Because this is unreal. But, you know, you might have some bitter students. You might have some students who feel like they can't hack it. And they're usually not your passing students. They're usually not your strong students. And, and this is anonymous, by the way. You want to definitely build an anonymous survey so that they feel that they could be as honest as possible. You can guess at who they are, but you'll never actually know. Maybe it's strong students. Maybe they just hate 
your style. <laughs> it's totally possible. Again, I wouldn't be recommending this if I thought this was going to hurt your ego. I totally wanted to boost your ego. But I would say choose an interval to re-administer the same survey with no changes. They're going to see, you know, remember, I am Miss Consistency. And I believe in doing the same thing over and over and over again. Because maybe you have your own, like, personal tragedy at some point in the year. And things just totally go awry in quarter three compared to the first half of the year. Well, that might come out in your student results. In your student, uh, more than in your tests, maybe also in their, their surveys. Maybe you're going through something really rough and you know you're cranky, but you're, you think you're dealing with it and it comes out in the survey that, no, you actually didn't hide it very well. And the students didn't want you to hide it. They, you, were, you were hiding it and it came off as really nasty. Or maybe it's going to help you pinpoint what of your strategy is good and what of it needs, you know, what are your strengths and weaknesses. So if you're after two to five different instructional goals, maybe you've licked a few of them, but then you can focus your efforts on others. Maybe you started out the first half of the year with one goal in mind, and in the second half of the year when you made your New Year's resolution, it totally flipped. And now it's looking totally crazy and the students aren't used to that. And they're like, what just happened? I hate that she changed my life <laughs> or he changed, changed everything on me, you know, and you might see that. But then you would readminister it again in the fourth quarter and things even out. And so it's the normal ebb and flow of human nature, right? And it, and it will get reflected and you can't be afraid of the results. As I said, it's just about allowing them to feel nurtured. You know, I sell this as when you get grades, I get grades. If I'm going to give you a score based on your performance, you're going to give me a score based on my performance. And the school doesn't make me do this, and they know that because they don't do it for every teacher. Uh, I remember doing it in college. I remember getting to college and doing a course evaluation and being totally floored that anybody cared about my opinion. Of course, I was too young to really understand how much money I was spending on that experience. <laughs> Uh, and I realize it every day of my life now. Um, but, you know, it, it, it definitely also goes to that buy-in factor. They are, they're kind of, they're feeling you. They're feeling like you care. Like, she cares what I think, what I feel. Are you kidding me? And maybe they're really going to take that opportunity. And if they don't the first time around, I bet you, you get better participation later on. Especially, I mean, it's going to be anonymous, so you can't make it mandatory. I am always shocked at the amount of students that do provide the feedback and do clearly spend time on doing so. You know, the answers aren't sparse. They're usually pretty thorough. And that's it. That's what I have for you guys uh, in the way of combating feelings of failure. Again, this is the final installment. This is the final topic in my free download, Six Things to Consider When Making the Switch to Student-Centered Learning available on my website. You can download it at www.loveineverylesson.com slash considerations. And in doing that, you'll also get on my email list, which will notify you when the podcast starts up again. I would love to have you here for season two, which you can expect not until spring, definitely summer. In the summertime, I have a lot of space in my brain and I have a lot, <laughs> a lot of processing going on, but definitely in the springtime, I start to renew and recharge and I get really, really creative. It's 
a weird thing that happens to me at that time of year. When most teachers are like looking forward to the summer, I'm like diving into books and really getting charged up about the next year already. It's totally bizarre, but it happens to me. And so I will bring it to you. I can tell you that some things I'm going to focus on in the next season Um, one definite point of focus is going to be disciplinary literacy. Now, I in no way, shape, or form claim to be an expert on disciplinary literacy. However, my school has had a a school-wide focus on it this year. And so I have learned a lot from my own study. And the biggest thing I have learned is that the lessons I have prepared already have just seamlessly complemented this literacy effort in my school where other teachers are constantly concerned about the amount of literacy they incorporate. Is this enough? Is this the type of literacy we're trying to go after? You know, what is literacy in science? I just have it all together. (laughs) Not to brag. I'm not trying to brag on you. But when you're designing lessons, according to that guide that I've shared with you, those five elements to effective interactive science lessons, also available on the website slash five elements. Um, It just happens. You're creating data tables, you're including analysis, you're doing inference. There's all kinds of literacy stuff that's happening there that you might not even realize. When I wrote those lessons, I had no idea that I was satisfying so many components of the common core for science. And I was. And I do want to talk about those to you. I've been all nine weeks uh, for my school kind of creating a portfolio of literacy-based examples. What does scientific disciplinary literacy look like? And so I hope to bring those to you as part of the podcast series. You can also look forward to, I mean, I hope to create a YouTube channel where I'm duplicating the podcast content. So for those of you who have been routinely listening, regularly listening, thank you so much for that, by the way. Um, If you want to connect with me on a different level and actually see me when I talk, I guess we could do that. I guess we could do that. I'm thinking Santa might need to bring me a green screen for Christmas. And we'll see how that goes. Now, um, of course, that will be all duplicated content. On, on the YouTube. And, and honestly, folks, it's just a, a means of getting my message out there in another way and attracting some more attention. But I do plan to bring you some more video content. And in my downtime between now, which is November, and when I start up again on season two in spring or in the summer, I am going to be building out my blog. So if you're listening to me because you're a chem teacher, you teach physical science, I'm going to be focused on supporting you and your endeavors to teach specific content and to share specific um, technology resources with you and specific strategies to accomplish very specific goals. And so I'm still going to be here, guys. My efforts are just going to be focused in a little bit of a different way. Get on my email list. Be notified about everything. I hope you enjoy whatever holiday it is this year coming up that you celebrate. And I'll meet you back here when the sun shines again. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye-bye.